Good morning, everyone. All right, this is the time of year where you start constructing little fans out of pieces of paper and cardboard. Who's got their fans ready and their handkerchiefs? Okay, all right, we're doing good. We are blessed to have a great uh, facility to meet in. It does not have air conditioning, but one day it might, so let's continue praying for that. All right, we're continuing our series called Go. Two weeks ago, we talked about going into your room. And what do we do when we go into our room? We, we pray. And we talked about prayer and the power of prayer and prayer being an agent, an action of change. And then last week, we had a special guest speaker come in. Jim Brown uh, spoke about into the city, go into the city to share our faith in the greatest city in the world right here in New York. We have an amazing opportunity. Uh, today, we're going to talk about another angle on the word go in the Bible. And we'll be turning over to the book of Acts here and looking through a few scriptures just to set the tone. There were a couple of uh, NBA teams that have been going the last couple of weeks uh, pretty hard. I know we announced some people visiting from the Bay Area. Do we have some happy San Franciscans uh, from the game last night? Okay. Got some fans. Had the best record in the history of the NBA and then almost didn't make it to Game 7, but they're in now. And I know they're going to need all your fanaticism tomorrow night, unless you're a Thunder fan, in which case you're not going to be rooting for them. All right. And, of course, the rest of us say, I don't care about the NBA. Just give me the Tonys in a couple weeks, right? All right. It's close. It's close, Ray. It's right around the corner. Get your DVR ready. All right, you guys in Acts, I was just a stall tactic to get you guys opening your Bibles. Okay. All right, we're going to start off in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 8, in verse 26. And we're going to look for some patterns here and see what we can find and discover as we look at some scriptures with the word go. Uh, here to Philip, we have some instructions saying, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Look at another one here in Acts chapter 9, verse 11. It reads, Go, again some instruction to Ananias this time, to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. To Peter now, Acts chapter 10, we have in verse 20, Go, or sorry, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Looking for patterns here, Acts chapter 22 and verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the Lord speaking to Paul. And then Abraham, we'll jump back a little bit to Acts chapter 7 and verse 3. A reminder here, God says to Abraham, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. And then just another one here about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. All right. Do you notice any patterns in these scriptures besides the word go being in all of them, right? There should be a couple things that stand out to you. Who is the speaker giving the instruction in all of these passages? God, yeah. God is the speaker. He's the ultimate authority, giving not just a suggestion, but a command to these different people to go. 
go to these specific places. And that's the second thing. He's got some very specific places in mind that he wants them to go. He talks about going to the road to Gaza, go down to Straight Street. You got to love when God gives you specific instruction, right? Go downstairs, right? Very specific. And that's encouraging for those people. They know clearly this is coming from God. And another thing that we notice here is that in all these situations, God is giving instruction to someone to go somewhere that is unknown to them. These are new experiences that God is calling these people to go on, and very challenging ones at that. Have you ever been in a situation where someone in authority position told you to go? All right? It wasn't a suggestion from your boss or from your parents or professor or mentor. It was some sort of a command saying, go. Maybe it was go do something or go somewhere to this specific place. And probably, if you were being told go by these authority figures, it was go to somewhere or do something that is unknown to you. We've all shared that experience, right? Going into the unknown. Now, imagine yourself in those situations. Sometimes when you're asked to go somewhere that's not known, do you ever feel like you're not ready to go there? Right? I mean... Some of us are just adventurous in our spirit, and we love when someone says, go, do something new, or take on this mission or this task. Probably for most of us, though, when someone says go, maybe there's a little bit of excitement, but also some nervousness. Some feelings of, I'm not ready, or I'm not prepared. I'm just not sure. There's mysterious things waiting for me, and I'm not so sure I want to open up that door. And it can drive us crazy when we're in times of decision-making, trying to figure out which way to go, and not exactly sure what God's trying to tell us. There's a great uh, director, one of my favorites, named J.J. Abrams. He's also a writer and producer, does all kinds of things. People talk about him as sort of the Steven Spielberg of our generation. Uh, He's involved with shows like Lost or Fringe or Person of Interest. He's totally rebooted the Star Trek uh, movie series and also Star Wars recently, right? If you've ever seen... Has anyone seen Star Wars 7, the recent... Okay, all right. So you know about J.J. Abrams. And uh, he tells a story when he does a TED Talk about his grandparents giving him these gifts from time to time. And he loved to take these gifts and take them apart and put them back together. He loved boxes. He loved the mystery behind boxes. And one time, as a young boy... They gave him a mystery magic box as a gift. And he shares about how thrilling it was for him to imagine what was inside of that box. And he says to this day, that has become the inspiration for all of his work. He starts with the idea of what's in the box. And then he works backwards, creating mystery and suspense. And those of us who know his writing especially... It's so filled with suspense and so deep in the character development and the plot. It's really layered and you're always trying to figure out what's in the box, all right? To this day, he still has the mystery magic box. He has not opened it. Since he was a young boy, for him, it provided more inspiration to have it still unopened. His imagination running wild with stories about what could be in there, what type of magic tricks might be in there. Then opening it and figuring it out. 
You know, there's something both terrifying and exhilarating about the unknown. You know what I mean? We were hearing a, a noise earlier back here. And uh, during the, one of the songs, right before I came up, I was asking Wendy, what is that noise? And we're all like, it's like, woo! You know, it's like this funny high pitch. Is it natural? Is it a bird? Is it mechanical? And we, I think we figured out what it was, like an alarm uh, beeping happening back here. You won't be able to hear it. It's very faint. But do you ever hear noises or see things and you're not quite sure what it is and it drives you crazy? All right. Is that a mouse? All right. Is someone breaking in? Is that a TV? Uh, you know, uh, what's going on? And just as, you know, frustrating as it can be, the unknown can also be exciting. What's behind door number three? What's going to be behind that decision that I make? The unknown territory, the mystery. And Jesus, I believe, understood this concept as well. Today's title is Go Into the Unknown. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to go into the unknown. Along with Jesus and his 12 apostles. As you're opening the Bible to Luke chapter 10... I want to imagine yourself there 2,000 years ago. You know, you're a group of fishermen and tax collectors by trade. You have met this amazing rabbi who's teaching all this new, incredible insight into the scriptures. Uh, you believe he's the Messiah. Your people have been waiting generations upon generations for this Savior to come to earth. You've seen him do miracles. You seen him do amazing things and you're following him on faith that wherever he goes, you're going to follow. But you're not trained as a rabbi. You're not trained as a priest. You're not a teacher of anything in particular. You've just joined with your expertise being in some kind of work, whether it was the fish trade or the tax trade or one of them was a zealot. It's kind of an underground military operation trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. Uh, you certainly were not acquainted with the scriptures the way that these rabbis were. You were what the Bible calls unschooled and ordinary. So imagine you're one of these people, part of the twelve, and there's Jesus, and he's teaching you, and you're following him. You've given up everything that was a part of your life. And Jesus rallies them, and, and he says, go. He gives them a mission. He sends them into the unknown. And I want you to listen to these verses as if you were there hearing this mission for yourself for the very first time. And I want you to gauge your feelings. What would I be feeling if I was hearing this from my master? Here we go, verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to your feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. 
All right, let's stop there for a minute. So imagine you're one of the twelve. And there you are experiencing these miracles and Messiah come to earth, freedom right around the corner. And your master comes around and says, all right, go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. In other words, I'm sending you out into danger where you might lose your lives. Some pretty inspiring words from Jesus right here, right? I mean, what words would you choose to start with when you're coming up with your great mission? Would you start with, I'm going to send you out to the ravenous wolves that want to kill you? Probably not, right? You probably start with, hey, some good stuff is in store. Uh, you're going to be able to do some miracles. Uh, some really cool things are going to happen. You start with the good stuff, right? Jesus wants to level with them. And he shoots straight with them. And you got to imagine you're one of the, the guys there. I mean, what is Bartholomew feeling right here? You know, what is Judas feeling right here? Lambs among wolves? You know, there's three essentials that you would take on any kind of overnight trip at this time in this place 2,000 years ago in the ancient Middle, Middle East. You would take your wallet. You know, you're saying, man, these guys had purses. That's cool. They're very, you know, fashion forward. They have the man bags. No, it's just a... A reference to a wallet, anything that you would carry money. And back then, actually, they would actually tie most of their money into their belt. All right. That, that way, if you get mugged on the road, which happened quite a lot, especially on long trips, uh, they would have a hard time finding the money to be inside. Right. So you got your wallet. You got some form of a knapsack or a luggage or a bag to carry your overnight gear, a blanket, perhaps. And then you would have extra footwear. All right. You'd have your sandals on your on your feet. And then there's all kinds of like desert storms and you, you cake up all this mud on your sandals. You probably want one extra pair in case you wear the first pair out. You know, that's what you do. And Jesus says, OK, the three essentials that you normally take on a trip. No. Don't take them. No wallet, no luggage, no extra pair of shoes. And by the way, there's all this ancient East uh, traveling etiquette, right? If you ever visited the Middle East, you know, in some places, uh, the greeting takes a while, right? There might be some bowing or some different things that happen, maybe some kissing on either cheek. Uh, there's all things you're supposed to say. And back then, 2,000 years ago, it was no different. Uh, salutation covered a wide range of social practices. Uh, there's the appropriate greeting. Uh, you have to ask about the person's welfare. Uh, you express personal regard. Uh, there's a particular blessing, you know, the go in peace blessing. Uh, there's physical actions such as kneeling uh, and kissing and embracing. So Jesus says, I don't want you to waste time for that. If you get to a place where they're receptive, you can go and do all the greetings. But when you're on the road, I need you to go. Go, go, go. You're on a mission. It's urgent. So the normal etiquette, the normal familiar things you would use to do on these traveling trips, Jesus takes it away. He says no. Now, if they were open to the message, you hang out, you invest a little bit. But if they're closed to the message, what does it say you're supposed to do? You're supposed to shake, shake the dust off Adam, right? Ah, you know. And it's, it's the opposite of what we've talked about in, in months past. If you're following a rabbi, then you would want the dust of their feet to kind of be on you, you know? Uh, it was a badge of honor to follow in the literal footsteps of your leader, master, mentor, rabbi. And so you'd be, you know, have all this dust on you. I am clothed with the dust of my rabbi. But in the opposite way, 
If someone wasn't open to your message, you're supposed to shake the conus, the, the, that's the Greek word for dust, off on them. And dust is like this big thing in the Middle East and carries with it all these connotations. Basically, you're calling a curse on them. Shaking dust off on you. You know? Is there a sport where you like kick dirt up at people? I don't know. Is there? Is it baseball? Really? I don't follow baseball very much. When do you do that? When you, want to, when you have an argument with someone? Yeah, it's like that. It's like spitting on someone. Kicking, kicking dirt up at them. I mean, you, how dare you not receive the message that we bring? And they do it publicly. Jesus says even go in the streets and do it. So there's a lot on the line. Again, some very inspiring stuff awaiting these 12 when they go out into the cities for their mission. So perhaps the 12 are feeling like this is not what I signed up for. Can you imagine yourself feeling that? You sign up for something, you have an opinion about what it's going to look like, and that ends up being something very different. You know, you ever felt like that in the church? You don't have to answer out loud. I don't want you to feel indicted. I also don't want to get insecure. Everyone says, yeah, you know, like, it's not what I signed up for. No, we've all felt like that. You know, in the church, we've had times where we're saying, wait, what? Wait a minute. You, you want me to walk into harm's way? You, you want me to risk my reputation? You want me to be willing to give up my creature comforts in order to follow Jesus? You want me to give away my money? You want me to give away my extras? You want me to change my social life? The way I talk, what I prioritize? Now, wait a minute. Don't start talking about the way I date. You want to change the way I date? I don't know. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up for Jesus to influence my romantic life. You want me to prioritize my faith over everything else, including my relationships? You know, sometimes we can feel like this is not what we signed up for. And we start saying things like, you know, I'm not prepared for this. I'm not ready for this. The unknown is too overwhelming. I want to go back to what's familiar, what's comfortable, what's not threatening, what's safe and what's easy. You know, there's a lot of unknowns that we've all faced in our lives. For me, I, I face a lot of unknowns. Uh, I've li- I lived in three states and two countries by the time I was in high school. And as a young person, trying to figure out, you know, who you are and who your friends are, you move around a lot and you tend to feel like you don't have a place. Uh, I remember going to college. That was a very new thing, moving away from home. You probably remember the first time you moved out. Uh, maybe some of you are still living at home. Amen. Uh, you're in different places in life. But that's a big deal when you move out. I remember hallucinating about my mom's cooking. I was in California and I called back to my mom a thousand miles away. I said, what would you make for dinner tonight? And I would just imagine. I could smell it. And then I'd make my ramen noodles and imagine that it was like mom's homemade lasagna, you know? You're in the unknown. I, I remember becoming a Christian. And just say, man, this is so unknown to me. This is so different. I remember getting married. That was very unknown to me. <laughs> Having children. A mystery. And then, perhaps, the pièce de résistance, moving to New York City. So unknown. So dangerous. So exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. My question for you today is, what are your unknowns? What are the unknowns you're dealing with today? 
What, what mystery boxes are you looking at right now? Thinking about what decision am I going to make? What's pending? Maybe a life transition. Maybe a move of some sort. Maybe a new relationship or something new that you don't feel ready for. Maybe you're feeling like, hey, it's not best to do it. And then maybe again, God is, is on you and nudging you to go ahead and do it. Big or small, we all have these moments of decision. Moments where we step into the unknown. There's a great passage that follows up with Jesus' mission to his twelve. And it's here in Luke 22 when he follows up with them in verse 35. And he goes back to that mission. And he says, when I sent you without purse. Remember that? Remember that time when I said, don't bring your wallet. Don't bring your bag. Don't bring an extra pair of sandals. And they're all like, yeah, we totally remember that. And he says, did you lack anything? And what do they answer? Nothing. Nothing, Lord. In the moment, we might have been feeling all kinds of stuff, but we lacked nothing. We had everything we needed. And I want us to be encouraged by this thought today. What you have right now is all you need. What you have before you in the Scriptures, in your heart, the little seed of faith, or big as it were, wherever you're at today, You have enough right now to make the right decisions. You have all you need in your arsenal. In the moment for me, growing up and facing the unknowns, I didn't feel ready to move or make new friends or be in a strange place or get married or meet Jesus or be a dad. But God had tucked away all those tools in my toolbox, preparing me if I was willing to listen to his instructions. In Psalm 27, verse 3, one of my favorites, there's a great song about it that we sometimes sing. It says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. And if there was a juice that you could buy called confidence, and you knew without a doubt that however much it costs, let's say it was $5.99 for just a 16-ounce bottle, and it was labeled confidence, and it had been approved by the F... What is it? The federal... There you go. I need help when I'm preaching. Come on. And, and they've approved it. And it's, it's been, you know, double blind studies, all kinds of evidence. This gives you natural confidence. Would you not have a stock supply in your fridge at home? Would you not have cases and buy stocks in this thing? I want that confidence. And God says... Through this scripture and so many other things, I'm giving you the answer. This is how you can be confident in any and every situation. What you have is all you need. I can give it to you. Amen. You'll never be afraid. War will break out against you. An army will sneak up on you. And you'll be confident. No, God's not willing to lose us. So he's going to give you the strength you need. To get through the unknown. We believe in a God that's not going to give you more than you can handle. I love this song. I've been listening to it lately. It's Megan Trainer and John Legend. And they sing this song. The lines are, I'm going to love you like I'm going to lose you. Have you heard this song? All right. I don't know. It just sticks in me. I'm humming it all the time. And I just think you hold who you love a little tighter when you feel like it might not be there forever. 
or if something's threatened, or if you've been through a hard situation, you hold on to the people that you love. You hold on to your faith after you come through a real challenging time. But I tell you, when, when God is allowing us to go through a challenging time and He's saying go and we say no, that can really hurt our faith. When God says, hey, I want you to go, He's making it clear. People are advising you that are trustworthy spiritually, righteous advisors in your life. The Bible keeps, you know, jumping out at you. You ever have that happen? You like see the same scripture multiple times. I've had someone come up to me just recently. I was reading about that, and then you talked about it, and then I heard someone else mention it, and then I heard it on the radio, and then I saw it on a billboard. You ever been there where God's just being really loud? Do this! Go! But you're saying no. And that can really deteriorate your spiritual confidence. You can end up like Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13, which says, the, the sluggard looks out into the, the city and says, there's a lion out there. There's a lion in the streets. A fierce lion roaming. In, verse, in chapter 22 is a similar passage. The sluggard says, there's a lion out there. I'm going to be murdered. What does it mean? Well, probably it means that the sluggard is looking for any excuse they can find not to do something. And so, you know, we can watch the news and hear about something bad. Say, oh, I can't go outside now. It's similar. There's a lion in the street. I can't go and do anything. Something bad's going to happen. Now, if there's a lion right out your door that's hungry, probably wise to stay in. You know what I'm talking about. But the sluggard looks for ways out. Fear takes over. Threats start to dominate our thinking. You go bleak, you go negative, laziness and comfort. The easy path starts to erode our courage and look a lot more inviting than going to do something spiritual. We say things like, man, I just want to stay home. I don't want to share my faith. I don't want to give my money. I don't want to be in a discipling relationship. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. Aren't these things just optional anyway? And we can really get into this mode. There's a lion. There's all this stuff in the unknown that could threaten me. So I'd rather just stay safe and not do the things that Jesus says, go and do. This word, go, in the original language the Bible was written in, the Greek. I, I can't pronounce it. Abram, how do you pronounce it? Hupago. I love that the English go is in there. I don't know. We just got lucky there. But this word... Hupago, it, it denotes, it's more than just go. It's go under my authority. In other words, when Jesus is sending out his apostles, which also is a Greek word that just means sent, they are the ones who are sent. All right? So these guys are just being sent out there. They're, they're saying, Jesus is saying, go under my authority. Go with my Authority as you go to all these different challenges and face them. You're not going on your own. You're going with me. And in the same way, some of us, we, we can't underestimate the power of God in our lives going with us to all these places. Because then it just comes about, it's all about us. 
It's all about, well, I, you know, I've got to work up the energy to go and do the things I need to do as a Christian. And God is not in the picture. When the Holy Spirit is alive and well in all the disciples that are in the room, right? The Holy Spirit, God's own Spirit, giving you the energy that you need. The conviction and the courage that you need. And so when you have a victory, that's a victory that you and God have together. But when we start having, you know, oh, God's over there watching me from his armchair, clicking the remote through the circumstances of my life. And I'm over here on my own, isolated, having to work up the power, the willpower in my own self to do the things that God has called me to do. We're starting to separate and leave God out of the picture. We can't afford to do that. And that's just a matter of time until you burn out that way. I love this word. And uh, there is a, a sister who's in our ministry who's a stage manager, Christy Hess. A lot of you guys know her. And uh, she's awesome. And uh, she heard we were doing this series. She's like, John, I can't wait to tell you what the word go means in my line of work. And I said, okay, please tell me. She sent me a big email. It's awesome. She says, and I'll just read. Any cue, light, sound, scenery, curtain, actor entrances, exits, etc., are impossible without the stage manager saying one word. Go. It is a huge word in the stage world. She writes, a show has no ability to begin without the stage manager saying this word. While on headset, the word holds so much power that it's actually referred to as the G word. Because if it's not being used to call out an action, you have to reference it as the G word, because if you say the word go, action's going to happen. The moment go is spoken, action takes place. All the warning and description is said before the G word, so that by the time the word is spoken, there is no hesitation whatsoever. Thank you, Christy. Some great insight right there. This totally applies to our lives as disciples of Jesus. That he's made it very clear in his word what he expects of us. He's already laid out a plan. And for many of us, we've decided, yes, I will go. Some of us, still trying to figure it out. Amen. Awesome. You're in the right place to figure out whether you need to be going or staying. Wherever you're at. Keep studying the Bible. Keep coming around. God will make it clear. But I love the analogy for the stage because he sets it all out there. But when he does say go, God expects us without hesitation to go. To go. We can have great courage. We can know that God is with us. We can know that he's not setting us up for failure. And I love the verse in Psalm 112 Verses 1 and then 6 through 8 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Surely he'll never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He'll have no fear of bad news. Wouldn't that be awesome? If you had no fear of bad news. Whatever phone, sometimes the phone rings, you look at who it is. You're just thinking, this is bad news. Imagine if you had no fear. 
His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. The heart is secure. There will be no fear. In the end, he'll look in triumph on his foes. You know, as we uh, close out this message and think about not hesitating to go, thinking about how powerful God is in our lives, that he can take us to the places that he's called us to. You know, you, you think about the different movies that we love. You know, we all have our favorite movies. And most of the time in these movies, there's a point of decision where a character decides to go. Now, I don't know about you, but there aren't a lot of inspiring movies where the character is called to a decision and they stay. And the rest of the movie is about them doing nothing. It doesn't make sense. We're called to a point of almost crisis to figure out if we're going to step over the edge of faith and do something daring or stay and put our feet up. Dorothy took the first step down the yellow brick road, right? And we love that she does. There's a whole show waiting to happen. If she doesn't make the first step, she hangs out with the lollipop gang and keeps singing and everything, you know, there's no story. And the Wicked Witch takes over eventually. You know, we love Luke as he's training to be a Jedi and he goes in that underground cave to face his destiny on Dagobah. He's got to go in there. He's got to face his worst fears. He takes the first steps. We love Neo in the Matrix taking the red pill, right? You know, we're like, yeah, do it. And of course, we're watching a screen and we know it's science fiction. It's not real. But we imagine ourselves being in a... Do we want to go back to the reality or surreality that, you know, boring and the same old... No, go for the adventure. Katniss volunteers as tribute, right? All right, all, all these heroes and heroines, they make a first move. And then the great heroes, they continue making moves. We look at the Bible, it's the same way. We look at our favorite characters. Noah had to start somewhere. Can you imagine the first log of the ark? You know, you ever start a huge project and you're the very first word or the first internet search or the first phone call and you're feeling like this is never going to happen. You start somewhere and then you continue to go until completion. David, I don't know what he was feeling in the moment he volunteers to go fight the giant, but he makes the move and that's why we love him. Esther, And the list goes on. Deborah and Gideon and Abraham and Moses and all of these great heroes make a move and continue to make moves. There's no great stories without heroes brave enough to step in to the unknown. And you're a hero in your story. And you're facing some unknowns today. And I want to encourage you, with God's help, you can face and you can conquer. It's a great story if you've never heard of Corrie Ten Boom. You know, she was a Dutch Christian during World War II and was even imprisoned eventually for hiding Jewish refugees from the Nazis. And uh, as, as some stories have come out of the aftermath of World War II and the Holocaust, uh, you see, you know, even pictures like this. Here's Corrie showing uh, where some of the secret rooms were in her home. And uh, there's even a blueprint of all the rooms that were 
hidden away and Nazis would come in looking for the Jews and they would all be hidden, you know, dozens of them at a time and she was sort of a halfway house helping them to get out and escape. Amazing courage. And I love this quote from her where she says, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Because of course all of our futures are unknown. We try to predict. We try to control what the next steps are. We don't know. We're but a mist. But I love Corey's advice for us. Instead, find our security in a known God. Because your future is unknown. Jesus faced the ultimate unknown. Death itself. And I started thinking about this idea of Jesus dying. And you have to consider that Jesus has existed before time. He's, he's lived an eternity of life outside of time and space. There's no way to even measure or quantify how long he had existed. So death was a mystery box that he never opened. And his father said, go. Go to the earth. Live as a man. Feel as a man. Be tempted as a man. Bleed as a man. And he suffered. He suffered in human form, suffered rejection, hatred, violence. He prayed three times that his father would say, stay and not go to the cross. But the father still said go, and he went to the cross and he died. And for the first time, Jesus, who had existed in eternity for eons and ages that are beyond our quantification... And he experienced death. He opened the mystery box. Separated from his father for the first time. And I love that he's an example for all of us to follow. Because he faces it with courage and faith. And he overcomes. At this time we're going to pray for our communion. We want us to bow our heads. And consider the unknowns in our life. And how Jesus can lead us through them. Our Father in heaven... We're grateful to be gathered here on Memorial Weekend to remember not only the sacrifices that many men and women have made for us to live in freedom here, but also the ultimate sacrifice that your son Jesus made for us on the cross so that we could have spiritual freedom. And God, right now, what we want to ask you is that you help us to face our unknowns. You know, sometimes, God, I ask you to make things clear, to make my future clear. Now, sometimes you don't do that. Most of the time, you don't do that. Instead, you give me the tools to face the unknown. And Father, I'm so grateful that you've given us free choice, and you've given us the faith, and you've given us the Holy Spirit to unite with us, to be alongside us, to be in us, and to give us the power to move forward. God, I want to pray for every unknown situation that each person is facing right now. I pray that you give them first the discernment to figure out whether this is a go or a stay situation. And then, Father, if it is a go, to give them the green light to encourage them and infuse them with spiritual confidence and help them to face it with courage and conquering. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he went first and blazed a trail for us. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.